Saponara! What a sweet goal to finish the season! Ricardo Saponara! Da Tokyo! Beffato di Gregorio! 4 a 1 per l'Atalanta! Hello and welcome to Serie A Spotlight Season 2 Episode 41. We're your hosts Matt and Jake giving you guys a little bit of something different today because as the Serie A season has come to an end, there's still so much to look forward to. Um, yeah, we've got a full agenda over here. We've got a very brief match day 38 rundown because that's not what you guys want to listen to, right? Now. Yeah. We don't want a rundown of match day 38 because most of the games were actually relevant at this stage in the season. But we do have Milan's very interesting situation to talk about with Jerry Cardinale, of course, the owner of the club, sacking um, the technical director and the sporting director in Paolo Maldini and Massara. Um, we have the Champions League final to preview, which is happening tomorrow, the Europa League final and Conference League final to review. They happened, of course, unfortunately, we did not see an Italian victory in those games. We have the Coppa Italia final to um, a review where we actually have an Italian winner over there, of course. <laughs> well, Verona Spezia and the relegation playoff to preview, which will be happening on Sunday. Um, Bari against Cagliari, the first leg to review, which happened yesterday. And then the second leg to preview, which is happening on Sunday. So there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to cover. Reviews and previews and previews and reviews, guys. Fucking That's review. why we're here. As usual, guys, don't forget to follow us on our socials, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Seria A Spotlight. And uh, give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening, be it Spotify, Apple Play, or Google Play. We're available wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, um, and remember to subscribe to our Patreon if you would like to be in a WhatsApp group chat with us and the other patrons. It's popping. Um, it's, 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 it's a fun a, chat. I'm happy that everyone, everyone's getting along. It's, it's yeah. good to see. Um, we have so far, we've only got two people who aren't Milan fans in this <laughs> in this group chat. So please, guys, if you support any other team, you need to come to this group chat to restore some balance. Yeah. <laughs> um, we need some diversity. If, if, if you follow any other team, honestly, come join, guys. It, it's fun. It's only yeah. 3 99 a month, and it helps us to support our podcast, to improve our equipment, to you know invest in certain tools that would help us make this more consistently. Yeah. And obviously, the, this week, we also took listener questions that we'll be tapping into from our Patreon. And aside from that, we have actually started our live FIFA streams head to head. Yeah. Jake and I played the playoff final between Cagliari and Bari. Yeah. Let's just say I was Bari and the first result was 6 2 and the second one was a 3 1. <laughs> yes. So thank you very much for giving me an easy time over there, brother. I don't know, bro, what happened, man. Lovumbo wasn't, didn't quite <laughs> feel as good as he should have felt, bro. And you know the controller I mean? was a yeah. bit weird. Yours and mine started talking about the square button. The square from button, the you know damn well that square button gets stuck and it's all hard and weird bro yeah well i re- i recall you were the one who customized that controller no that that, yeah. that, that was another version this one okay. was bought in gold oh, it's yeah. just the, the controller <laughs> is gold uh, i had once gotten them customized and i came back and one analog wasn't working the r1 wasn't working and i was too shy to ask for a refund yeah. yes guys but before we get into the rundown on match 38 
Jake being Jake, he has some very interesting news and stats he would like to share with us. So mm-hmm. take it away, brother. Just a few interesting things that have happened that I feel need to be addressed um, before we get into the rundown. So first of all, Legacea CEO Luigi De Siervo has revealed plans to increase the marketability and attractiveness of the Italian top flight in Serie Yes. He revealed a new name abroad, Serie made in Italy. Now, no. what difference that makes... <laughs> I don't know, bro. Uh, what I do know is that now we have to change our name to say uh, Made in Italy Spotlight. That's, that's absolutely <laughs> no way is that happening. Yeah. I guess it'll be one of those things where everyone's still going to call it Serie A, but I guess, you know, adding the name Italy to yeah. it will, you know, kind of create more clarity for football yeah. fans around the world. But I do find it's a bit senseless. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> I mean, you know, just what? So people don't think you're talking about the Brazilian Serie You know, it doesn't make much sense. Um, he also said um, that fans who abused Lukaku in um, in that particular game where he mm-hmm. was, I, I forgot, I, I can't remember who it was against. Yeah. Um, basically, the fans will never be entering the stadium again and that there's a new zero tolerance approach to racism, which is great, which great, is what good we to want hear, to hear. To and hear. players will no longer be booked, for example, for um, for protesting against racism. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not going to share my opinion until I see whether or not this is implemented exactly. and effective yes. for next season. He also highlighted that piracy costs the CIA about one billion um, every three years. My God. Um, and they finally have a law that so that um, they can close IP addresses that are streaming the game or something. Excuse me, I'm a chimpanzee when it comes to this <laughs> stuff. But um, yeah, for all you IPTV users out there, um, it might be... Harder to yeah. watch Serie A from It now. might be time you start paying to watch TV, guys, yeah. I'm afraid. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, um. Um, he compared the project to La Liga's project, which, which started 15 years ago. And um, that's why globally um, La Liga are further ahead than Serie yeah. A. Now, um, another interesting piece of news is that Messi has joined Inter Miami and that has left us wondering, is there an AC in Miami? Well, I'm not going to lie. There was a shit post on Twitter that had me believing that there was. <laughs> but I, they, they definitely should be. Why not? We know mm. how big this area has become in America. Maybe they want to instill some of the Italian culture over there. And what bigger than the Derby della Madonnina? Oh, yes. Um, the under-21... No, sorry. The under-20 World Cup final... Italy have made it to the final what against Uruguay. What a team. They defeated South Korea 2-1 in the semi-final thanks to goals from the hot Chelsea striker Cassidy and um, Pafundi, who um, the coach said is the first name on his uh, on his team, team sheet, sheet every yeah. single week. Um, and everyone was like, Pafundi, really? Cassidy scoring goals for fun. There's Baldanzi, who's a baller over there. How come it's Pafundi? We get to see now why now. Um, yeah. 85th minute scores a sensational free kick um, In contrast to this Reports um, have come out that um, Keane, Moise Keane Has left the Italy training camp Because he's not interested in the Under 21 Euros <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. come on man Come on Yeah, <clears throat> Basically there's um, There's a contrast over there No, I don't know, Keane might feel a little bit Entitled because he's actually done it on the bigger Stage but he's still got a lot to prove as a player Sandro Tonali is going to be playing For the under 21s and I'm sure That man will be captain and I'm sure he'll put in A shift 24-7 because he's professional Yes. And I think every player should follow Suit because no matter where you are Within the stage of your career It's all stepping stones until where you need To get and if proving himself For the under 21s for one season will help Him get into the world 
cup squad in three or four years' time, then so be it, man. Yeah, so be it, if that's the case. Another interesting thing is that Lazio, despite qualifying for the Champions League, may face difficulties in the transfer market due to their liquidity index. The club's financial resources from their successful Serie A campaign will not be available until later in the year, which means that they might actually have to sell players before they can make any new signings Mm. or rely on their president, Claudio Lotito, to invest more money into the team. <laughs> Great one, brother. It was just today that the rumors yeah. came out of them signing Berardi. Oh, yes. That they're interested yeah, that they're in interested Berardi. In, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that would be quite quite an Italian special there, no? It's like the it's like every Italian team that failed to qualify for the World Cup, no? Yeah, literally. <laughs> on the left, Berardi on the right, and Mobile up front. It's not too bad, but, yeah, man. No, it's not, not bad at all. Shabby. Domestically, that could do a lot of damage. And uh, Italian centre-backs as well. Yeah. Lazio being Lazio, no? Lazio, Lazio, exactly. <laughs> um, another fun stat, in his entire coaching career, Inzaghi has only ever played eight finals, and he has won the last seven in a row. Yes, sir. The last one he lost was against Juve. I believe. Yes, exactly. In May 2017. There you go. Uh, but then he got revenge a few months later with a 3-2 victory in the Supercoppa yeah. Italiana. Um, Sofian Amrabat will not be renewing with Fiorentina. Um, he's proud to have been a part of the team and I believe he's off. I'm not sure actually if it's a case of he won't be renewing or if he's just admitted that he's leaving. Um, yeah. I believe that Barcelona and United are battling it out for his signature. We'll see. The price tag is a very interesting topic very of conversation over here because... How much? 30 million, you've got a steal. Yeah. Anything over 35 is risky. That's, yeah. how, that's how I view it personally. I, I, th- I think he's, he's very solid. I think 30, up to 35 million would be a very good investment. Um, we will see inflated prices naturally because of, of his performance yeah. in the World Cup. And if he goes to the Premier League, rest assured, it's going to be over 35 million. Um, interesting that um, Barca are interested in him. Very, very similar skill set to that of Kessie, which they yeah. signed from Milan. So interesting to see. That pair isn't going to start together in the team for sure, especially with Barca prioritizing passing rather than physicality, yeah. although both have become very good passers, especially Sofian. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll get to see Kessie making a move. Probably. I mean, this is the thing with Barcelona. They always need to sell because of their financial situation. Mm. Yet they're always in the market to buy. They're so, always hyped up about so, someone, yeah, don't, man. Don't ask me what's going on over there. This is Serie Made in Italy spotlight. Exactly. um, Inter president Steven Zhang has praised Simone Enzaghi, saying that he's very easy to work with. Now, this is where it gets funny. He also said that he would never hire Guardiola and that he has never seen Conte happy. (laughs) (laughs) Respect. It was a wild one. Like He also took shots at Milan, by the way. Oh, not so much respect. (laughs) Spalletti got an interesting gift from the Ultras when they were protesting his appointment in 2021. Apparently, a few of the Napoli Ultras stole I'm not sure if it was some items from his Fiat Panda or his entire Fiat Panda <laughs> one of them was stolen basically and they said they'll only return them if he were to leave Napoli now he's won them the league and he's leaving so the Ultras gathered around Spalletti they gave him a massive box with a gift Spalletti albeit struggling managed to open the box which mm. eventually revealed the steering wheel of his <laughs> Fiat Panda <laughs> as well as some CDs that he had in his car that's just fantastic shit how was and props to Spalletti for how he took it naturally he's on a high and he's in a good mood right now perhaps if they gave it to him had he been sacked 
yeah. you wouldn't have been too pleased, but <laughs> it was the correct time and place for this. That's a moment of realization out there when you've got all those dudes standing in front of you and you realize they, they robbed you. Literally. You know, Literally. Yeah, it must be kind of scary at the same time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, shall respect to Spalletti as well, who drives a Fiat Panda and uses CDs in 2021. But anyway. <laughs> Um, um Titi, this is my last point, bro, before we get to the round, rundown, um, is leaving Lecce. And apparently, Lecce have this legendary ultra, this legendary fan mm. called Pinuccio Milli. Shout out yeah. Pinuccio Milli. And um, he gave an interview recently where he called um, Um Titi a messiah, claiming that Lecce would have not stayed up if it weren't for him and hailing him as the best defender in their history. Now, do you agree that um, Lecce would not have stayed up if it weren't for, if it hadn't been for Umtiti? I think there would have definitely been a, a difference in where they ended up in the table. I think he was an asset. Like, mm-hmm. okay, he, he hasn't been hailed as the, the one of the greatest centre-backs in the league, um, but he did fit the system quite well. He made a good pairing with Baschirotto. They had the same four names in defense on the team sheet every week, and that just increased a, an element of stability, which Lecce mm. did not have in the beginning of the season before they signed Umtiti. There was that famous game against Inter where they had all the injuries, all the rotation, Baschirotto shifting from right back to center back, which turned out to be quite a stroke of genius. I think there would have definitely been a, a, a difference. Not sure if they would have gotten relegated because Spezia and Verona were so shit this season, but... Yeah, there'll be a couple of places down, perhaps. Yeah, they only conceded 46 goals compared to Spezia's 62, Verona's 59, Cremonese's 69, and Sampdoria's 71. And they actually never conceded more than two goals in one game all season long, except for the last match they can you believe it, where Bologna managed to put three past them. My God. But we'll excuse them for that one. But yes, um, Lecce's solidarity um, is partly due to Umtiti being a monster but how can he be the best centre-back in their history if he isn't even their best centre-back on the team right now Bravo. all hail Baschirotto baby Baschirotto it simply had a better season this yeah. year and I think Baschirotto could be hailed if that's the debate as the greatest centre-back in Lecce's history <laughs> no but in, in all seriousness um, Umtiti is that cool head that gave everyone the confidence to succeed around him absolutely yeah, and, and even the way he carries the ball forward it's, it's, it's very Good yeah, it's sad that we're not going to see him at Lecce next I year. I don't think it was ever a long-term thing for him because he's used to playing in the bigger stages, but he's hailed Serie A with his presence, and for that, we are forever thankful. Yes. Match day 38 rundown. Let's Before do we it. get into anything else, it. okay, so there was Napoli 2, Sampdoria nil. It was first against last. I think there was no debate about the scoreline over there. Milan 3, Verona 1. I was happy to be there watching Zlatan Ibrahimovic's last official game for AC Milan, albeit he wasn't um, part of the squad for that game because of his injuries. Little did I know that it was also going to be a farewell for Maldini and Massara. Guys, the emotion in the stadium was unbelievable. The game was fantastic. And wow, I'm so glad I've been there. And check out our TikTok for some in person, in person, I guess, live content, some Vox Pops outside of San Siro, some videos inside San Siro of the game, and they're all quite cool. We did that um, little Brazilian kid dirty. Yeah, we our, did, <laughs> we did, we did. He was so lovely, man, but it so, was just the so, perfect. Such a nice kid. Yeah, go check it out, guys. Yeah. Go check out our Vox Pop outside San Siro if you don't know what we're talking about. On TikTok or Instagram. Yeah. 
Roma 2, Spezia 1. Spezia had actually opened the scoring against Roma, making it seem like Verona were going to get relegated within the opening moments of the match. However, Roma prevailed with the scoreline of 2-1, which means that Spezia and Verona will be heading off into a playoff to see who gets relegated. Torino nil, Inter one good victory there by narrow margins for Inter, goal by Brozovic. Atalanta 5, Monza 2. A delicious hat-trick for Cope Miners. He actually made our goal of the week, which I don't think we pointed out earlier on. No, did we not? Uh, no, it was a chip from some distance, yeah. guys, all, almost halfway. He caught the Gregorio off his line completely. No it one has a, done that this season. Fantastic goal. Wow. It was. Um, which do you prefer, that halfway line goal or Biragi's? I would say Biragi's just because it was further yeah. out, but I think it took more for Cope Miners to do that because it was from open play rather than from a, a dead ball where the referee you know, blew his yeah, whistle yeah, prematurely yeah. Or, or whatever. Udinese nil, Juve won in the battle of the Bianconeri. Empoli nil, Lazio 2, confirming that Lazio got second place this season. Sassuolo 1, Fiorentina 3. There was another honourable mention for the goal of the week, which was Ricky Saponara ending his season in some fashion with a goal into the top corner from outside the area on the turn. Classic Saponara stuff. Magical season ends with the magic man scoring a magical goal and getting a magical assist right after. Did you see the fucking rage with which he crossed that ball to Nico Gonzalez? Like yes, perfectly between the man and the post. Like Nico headed it in and just clattered against the fucking yeah. post immediately. That after. was a great goal, man. That was a great goal. Yeah, I was hoping he'd take that form to the Conference League, but he barely got a sniff. Yeah. <laughs> Lecce 2. Bologna, three Lecce, again conceding three goals in one game for the first time this season. Banda with a hilarious celebration <laughs> in this game. Yeah, it was fucking brilliant. And Cremonese to Salernitana nil because everyone is hungover in Salerno. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically the main things that happened during this match there are, of course, Napoli lifting the trophy. Verona and Spezia yeah, heading to a playoff, as you said. Fiorentina finishing in eighth. Um, Zlatan retiring. Um, and surprising everyone. No one knew he was going to retire. He hadn't told a single person. Yeah, we found out on the day that he was retiring. Mm. It was a massive rumor that he was going to join Monza for one more season. Um, but yeah, it's a goodbye to football, but not a goodbye to the club. We'll definitely mm. see him involved at AC Milan yeah. sometime. And soon. they're saying, for example, there's a vacant position right now, which, in, in my opinion, for example, could have been perfect for Maldini. But we'll talk about that soon as to why Maldini probably wouldn't want to take that mm. position. Um, it's kind of a... Ambassador. It's... it's, it's it's a relations role between the between the management and the squad. It's kind oh, of a that, that team would... team. What would you call it? I, I don't even know what you'd call coordinator, it. A coordinator, I guess. A coordinator kind coordinator. of thing. But I am sure they would word it more nicely. You yeah, know, like make it sound more prestigious. You know, yeah, coordinator. Well, Zlatan would be great for that, as much as Maldini obviously yeah, fits yeah, that yeah, perfectly yeah. because he's a, a true but professional. Be a massive step down, you know, from Maldini. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, so Zlatan will be perfect for that, but it seems to be, um, things seem to be indicating that Zlatan will take a year off, yeah. spend some time with his family, um, maybe, you know, think Doesn't about he... his career, but he hasn't stopped, bro. He hasn't no. stopped this guy. Well, the injuries maybe, because yeah. <laughs> stop a little bit, but, go to San Remo. But he'd be on the treadmill, bro. He'd yeah. be injured on the treadmill, just being like, I need to recover. <laughs> I need adrenaline. <laughs> but yeah, bro. Um 
he that was a great fucking send off. Send off. I even told the Verona fans that uh, they were booing him basically during the the speech, and he told them that them seeing him that day was the best thing to have happened to them all year. <laughs> yeah, which is true, man. Which is true. Yeah, yeah. The crowd went nuts when he said of that, course. man. Like I understood it because he said Fiskia, Fiskia, uh, which is boo, boo. <laughs> <laughs> so I went crazy as well, shouting Syria burn, giving them yeah. the finger. He also um, said that even God was sad that day because it was raining. So, <laughs> even God is crying. <laughs> Coop Miners, of course, had a hat-trick and a mental goal from halfway, and Banda's celebration is my favourite of the season. Yeah. But, I mean, this all meant that naturally, obviously, as we've known for ages, Napoli ended up lifting the Scudetto. Um, uh, Napoli, Lazio, Inter, Milan formed the top four with Atalanta and Roma heading to the Europa League. Juventus finished in seventh for the Conference League. However, naturally, because there is ongoing drama with UEFA, it could very much be that they will be um, uh, discluded... (laughs) They would be excluded, they will be left out um, of European competitions for the year, which would mean that subsequently Fiorentina would take the Conference League spot. Cremonese and Sampdoria got relegated with Verona and Spezia heading to a playoff, which will be played in a neutral stadium in the Mapei Stadium. Yes, apparently it was going to be played in Udine, but there were some concerns over, first of all, the distance discrepancy, because one of the teams is closer. I'm not quite sure geographically which one I have in the notes. We'll talk about it later on. Um, And the Mapei apparently has a more modern security system, like it's easier to maintain. Mm. Mapei is a good stadium. It's a good one, it's a good one, it's a good one. Shall we talk about Milan's situation? Bro? Yeah, let's get into that first, all because right, it's a right. bit of a question mark, just what went down, what caused the sacking of mm-hmm. Maldini, was it performance, was it attitude, was it a falling out with um, Cardinale, and what exactly went down? So while we're sat here um, thinking that Milan are going to have the weapon of consistency in their artillery for next season, um, everything collapsed. Mm. Everything collapsed. Jerry Cardinale um, sacked Paolo Maldini and Ricky Massara. But what fucking prompted this decision? It caught everyone off guard, right? So in June 2022, Paolo Maldini and Jerry Cardinale are seen posing for a photo during uh, the signing of Redbird's ownership of AC Milan. And Cardinale expresses excitement and appreciation for Paolo Maldini, right? Okay, new Mm -hmm. ownership. Okay, we get it. They seem like they're going to work well together. We'll see what this holds. Summer 2022, um, Milan's transfer market performance was deemed a flop, apparently. Um, except for the mining, the signing of Malik Chao, Cardinale was disappointed with the lack of player trading and the failure of a high-profile signing in Charles de Catalare. Yeah. Of course... Um, we all know the market wasn't that great. We all know that Decade Alaria took too long to sign. And eventually when he did sign, it was a flop and it was always going to be a risk to mm. invest 35 million on him. We always knew that uh, maybe just letting Dybala go to Roma for 20 million, for, for free, for free, uncontested would be a bad idea. You know, there were a few things, but at the time, you know, in hindsight, you know, you bring in Origi, you have hopes for this Decade Talara guy. You don't realize how bad it truly is until the season actually is mm. halfway through, you know? Yeah. Or actually the season's a quarter way through because that gives us yeah. a, good, a good indication. Yeah. Now, 
After the semi-final loss to Inter, Maldini expressed his belief that Milan were not quite ready to to compete at the highest level and he requested more investment to strengthen the squad, which contradicted Redbird's plan for sustainable growth through data-driven player acquisitions. The Moneyball Mm, system, right? Um, Yeah, so they weren't happy with Maldini. Um, talking about this thing, addressing yeah. the lack of uh, finances, essentially, or the lack of investment. Right? And he apparently had quite a habit of speaking out about what happens in, in Milan's camp yes. uh, because he has been on podcasts before and, and doing this and that. And uh, Cardinale was always displeased with how he yes. spoke about the club and, and just how much confidence he had speaking about what was going on. Yes, um, particularly in non-footballing interviews, like mm. uh, on Vieri's podcast, for example, mm. he gave a bit too much information of what was happening at Milanello. Now, um, Maldini actually revealed in an interview that would have been easy to sign the Bala, but um, negotiations were halted to maintain peace with the technical area. Of course, um, Maldini was working in a team, right? He was working... The, Cardinale's vision was that for, for everyone to be working together. And apparently mm. Maldini became uncomfortable in that and he wanted more power or more influence in, in decision-making, essentially. Mm. Now, apparently, after the 2-0 defeat to Spezia, Maldini suggested sacking head coach Stefano Pioli if, this, if mm. the team failed to secure a Champions League spot. Which... Isn't a crazy... It's not crazy not because, crazy because everyone... That was, that was like... Common knowledge. Yeah, no, we going spoke into about the it. Top Everyone four, spoke top about four, it. you keep Pioli. Yeah. Like, granted, top yeah. four was a little bit fortunate this year for me, but, he's, but Pioli stays on, yes. Um, however, the owner, Cardinale, actually views um, Pioli central to the project. And now, with Maldini out, Pioli actually has more power than ever. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this, um, it is Moncada, the very talented scout. That yeah. usually um, is quite a mysterious figure that's taking over Maldini's job. And this guy's a good scout. Huh? He's, he's a fantastic yeah. scout. He's behind the scenes, somewhat yeah. pulling the strings in, in these ob- obscure signings that Milan had made. Because this is one thing that interests me. When um, the mismanagement of the funds given to Maldini from Redbird, from Cardinale, were pointed out, it was like, okay, sure. Um, it wasn't the best transfer window for Milan. We all know that. We all know that better decisions essentially could have been made, um, especially with the signing of Tecate Lare, Origi being paid 4.5 million per season, which apparently player wages is a, a very big of course, deal naturally for, for Cardinale. Um However, does Cardinale not look at the previous seasons where Maldini and Massara pulled some fantastic signings when they brought in Teo, when they brought in Tonali, when they brought in Manian, when they brought in Leao, when they did this and that, when they brought in Kalulu, when they brought in Tomori? Were these, is it just that one season that tipped them over the edge? Apparently in 2022, um, more power and influence was given to Paolo Maldini. Mm. So before the signings that were made were made in a team. Well, this was more kind of mm. Maldini acting out of his own intuition. Okay. Um, of course, everything needed to be approved still, but uh, Maldini had more of a say, apparently, allegedly. Mm. This is all according to reports, of course. I, yeah. I don't have like an inside source or something. <laughs> I, I wasn't there, bro. Um, yeah, bro. Um, basically, what I have to say is that Cardinale is a guy who spent a lot of money to acquire this team. He is a person who has found great success in sports and the sporting industry. 
And at the end of the day, he's looking at this purely analytically. He's looking at this as, okay, so I have disagreements with this guy. I like to work in a team. Mm-hmm. And there's this one person who's working in the team who has disagreements over transfer market st- strategies, budget limitations, autonomy and decision-making, different visions of for the club's growth. Speaking about the Speaking club and public. Yeah, bro, everything. like, And, and it's only rational for this guy to to do what's best for his business they spend so much on that he invested so much on now granted it's a very delicate and sensitive thing and i'm sure i'm sure that cardinale offered maldini a different position i'm mm. sure i'm sure of it but maldini has always said that he wants power in milan yeah. he wants influence. he doesn't want to be an he ambassador wants, he doesn't want to be an ambassador he wants to be a person who contributes to the success of milan on, on yeah. the greater scale of things And we knew this because he didn't even join the Chinese project. Yeah. For yeah. example. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Cardinal, at the end of the day, is well within his rights to view this situation objectively. It's just a handling of a club legend. Yeah. Maldini. Milan and Maldini, th- those two words go hand in hand. And in fact, this is the first time since the Cesare days that there isn't a Maldini involved in the Milan squad. You know, because yeah. Daniel's out on loan. Um, Paolo's been sacked and Cesare is, you know. Yeah. Dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you for breaking the that dreadful news to me. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I I see why decisions were taken naturally. Not that I need to see because there the, the, there's the owner who has his vision who's clearly very invested in the club and and wants to make the right decisions. Um it's just please do take into account the prestige of the club, the prestige of legends and if you're going to carry out a risky move like that Please be careful on how that is carried out because Maldini and Massara are two people that deserve the most fantastic of farewells and they don't deserve to be dumped in the manner that they were dumped. I believe there are a lot of formalities that should have been carried out before that, mm-hmm. especially these are the guys, obviously notwithstanding anyone else that was involved, that brought Milan so much success and, and, and gave Milan a title after 10 years of fucking hell that brought them back into the Champions League, that got Milan the Serie A title last year and got Milan to the semifinals this yes. year. Dude, the project was on paper working. Yeah. That's it. And... He just probably thinks that um, maybe, you know, with Juve being docked points and that's the reason why Milan actually finished fourth and not fifth, mm. that um, that would be enough of a reason to uh-huh. to view this um, system as a failure, essentially. Yeah. Um, Scar- what's his name? Scaroni, the, the Milan president, gave a few words on Maldini and Redbird. And he actually said himself that Maldini felt uncomfortable mm. working in a group with Jerry Cardinale. Now... Scaroni has always been obsessed with the new stadium, the project. Mm, you know, he's mm. been talking about it for ages. He wants it to work. He was um, leading the fucking um, race to to get this fucking stadium done. Mm. And apparently when Redbird came in, they've built stadiums all over the world, Redbird. Mm. Scaroni said he took a step back. His nickname before this, Scaroni, he said this himself, was Stadioni <laughs> because he was obsessed with the stadium, bro. I swear to God he said this. And Redbird came in and he said, I understood that these guys are experts, professionals on another level to me. So I took a step back and I'm letting them handle that aspect. Maybe that was the difference. Maybe that's what Maldini didn't do. Yeah, because, because so, so there's two sides to this. There, there's the side that to be a good employee, let's put it, let's put it that way, you need a very good balance of two things. You can't be on either extreme. Um, you could either be that yes man 
mm-hmm. or you could be a guy that contradicts everything. Mm-hmm. The balance needs to be somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Now, if Agreed. Maldini was on totally one end of the spectrum, then that's not sustainable yeah. because at the end of the day, the owner makes the calls and there's, in inverted commas, no one bigger than the club. Mm-hmm. Now, although Maldini is a club legend and, and he's been, wow, like I, I can't even begin to describe what a legend this guy is. No one has had a club career quite like Paolo Maldini has for AC Milan. You see him going on that fucking talk show, the likes of Thierry Henry, Jamie Carragher, they're all fucking mm. melting. It's Literally. Like, they're all his melting. influence on, on the team, his influence in bringing players in, his influence in winning five fucking Champions Leagues and all the league titles that he has. I'm fucking sat here depressed because of the way that Milan had to part ways with Maldini. I am just hoping that this was the best call because... Don't get it twisted. This wasn't an easy cold call for Red for Redbird. This would have been a very, very tough call because they understand the prestige of Maldini. They have to mm. understand the prestige of Maldini. Mm. We'll see if this was for the best. I'm hoping it is. I thought the problem was the other way around. I thought maybe Pioli's in-game management could have been better, but he didn't have many tools to work with. I thought maybe... Maldini and Massara were pulling the strings and purely maybe let Milan down a little bit towards the latter stages of the season. No. Apparently, I got it twisted. Uh-huh. You perhaps, know? perhaps purely not playing certain players or refusing to even give playing time to certain people and sticking with his guns um, was kind of a way of rebellion, huh? a way of saying these weren't the players I wanted. Yeah, it could be. Per- perhaps. And I'm, I always like it when the coaches have more responsibility. And this is one thing mm. I'm excited for purely because who best to give you insight than the guy that works with them every single fucking day and knows the ins and outs of every single individual, knows their physicality, knows what's in the archives of their mind, trains with them, stays in a hotel with them, goes abroad with them. Trains them on a daily. So mm-hmm. I am glad that Pioli is being given that. And I am glad that at least Pioli stayed on board for that element of continuity. Yes. Even the fact that Milan aren't employing a new technical director, but they're, they're promoting one. They're promoting one. Yeah. So th- this is all. There's still continuity. There's just going to be a big void. That is the loss of a club legend yes. like Maldini and also Ricky Massaro. Yes. And, of course, there was the concern about certain players who were literally signed by Maldini. Um, the likes of, you know, again, Leao, Manian, Theo. These guys were very, very close to Maldini. And they, there, was, there were concerns that the players would rebel or something, but apparently everyone has understood and everyone has taken it. Well, of course, the media is going to report that, but I'm sure that it will be okay in that aspect. Everyone is contract-bound. Um, I don't think there's room for rebellion over here And I'm sure that when the results start coming in Everyone will forget Because I do think that the team Replacing Maldini is competent Because he wasn't Ma- te- in, in the first place Maldini wasn't qualified to have the role that he has he, Now experience he was, ex- speaks experience volumes wise he wasn't qualified Because I'm sure he got Whatever he needed Whatever paperwork he needed yeah. to be a sporting <laughs> director um, another thing, people are saying, oh, but Maldini's pull power. Maldini's pull power. Maldini came and helped Milan at the right time. Zlatan saving Milan because he introduces that winning mentality yeah. is just as important as Maldini, bro. Maldini's underrated as fuck. Uh, Maldini's pull power, the aura of a legend, the fact that he met 
Theo Hernandez in a bar in Ibiza and managed to convince mm. him to join Milan. This young, hot talent who played for Real Madrid. Milan no longer need Maldini, though. Because now Milan are a team that gets Champions League consistently, that made the semi-finals, that have starting spots available in the eleven. They have that striker spot is vacant. Right winger is vacant. Trequartista's vacant. You know, like like you have those three positions, you can go after some of the hottest talents in the world and lure them in by saying you have a starting role in this team that has been doing this for these past three years. Are you in? You don't need these, a legend anymore to convince them. Exactly. You have the project. These these legends were there to reinstill, to to reignite, to replace Milan in that bracket of being one of the greatest football clubs in history. Milan is enough of the pull factor. However, they did need a helping hand from these legends to reinstill that winning mentality. That winning mentality is there. It's within the camp. It's within the history, the blood, the DNA of the team. And it's time for players abroad to start realizing that. Not only do you get to live in Milano, but you get to represent AC Milan, where the red and black strip, that's what's going to get players on board nowadays. There's the history of Zlatan, the history of Maldini, the history of all these greats that have played before them. They don't need one active in the camp in order to get people on board. Yeah, bro. Agreed. I think we can get to the football, huh? I think we can get to like, the football. Because everyone's like, what's this, man? A podcast on politics? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, this isn't our area of expertise, but we are Milan fans as well, so I think we... Yeah, yeah, we needed to cover Yeah, and, and we would cover this as well if it were Juve and... Uh, anyone, anyone, those. anyone. We went so in-depth into Juve. Yeah. But I think we should head over to the Champions League final. These are the champions! <laughs> An Italian team... Once again, headlining a European final. Are we going to have an Italian team win one? At this point, no. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I fucking hope so, bro. You can't have three right? Italian teams and, and three European finals and don't bring a trophy to fucking Italy. Am I a Milan fan that's supporting in turn this game? You're goddamn fucking right I am, man. Of let's, course I'm rooting for Inter. Let's not take it that far. I am rooting for the Italian club in this game, brother. You know what I it am. is at the end of the day? It's not even about rivalries. If you view this objectively, you have you have you have a hyper modern, tactically flawless team consisting of about 20, 100 million euro men, right? Versus the power of friendship, bro. <laughs> That's what you have over here, all right? You've got the power of a barbecue on a Sunday, you know? That's it. That's what you have here. The, brother. A Budweiser and the game of Chomba, bro. Brother. That's, what, <laughs> that's what Inter are right now, bro. Let's what you have get here it. is the 3-2-4-1 taking on the 3-5-2. You've got Pep taking on Simone. Pep is known for controlling the game. Yeah. When he was at Barca, when he was at Bayern, and now at City, Pep recreated... Tiki Taka, Pep loves possessional football. City are going to get the ball and they're going to hang on to it. They're going to have stones in midfield, perhaps. They're going to have Ruben Diaz, a strong Ruben Diaz, one of the best centre-backs in the world, sitting in that back three. They're going to have De Bruyne and Gundogan, two of the best midfielders in the world at the moment, running that midfield. Haaland up front, the best striker in the world. This is going to be a tough, tough task for Inter. The best thing they can do, in my opinion, when Pep likes playing that controlling football, is 
play all your physical players, sit back and fucking hope, man. Sit back, try to catch them on the counter, try yeah. to take it to penalties, try to do something. But you're not going to win the game by taking the game no, to no, City. No. And they, they definitely aren't planning on doing that, I can guarantee. Um, Inter are, are the type of team that's set up in a counter-attacking way, right? They they remain compact, tight, hard to break down, and they'll fucking slap you on the counter yeah. with the likes of Dumfries or DeMarco charging forward. Maybe I need one to intricate with Shalanoglu or Barella, you know, Brozovic, and he tried to play it to eventually Lautaro or Lukaku to finish it off, or perhaps switch the wing to the other fullback. Um Honestly, at this point, you know, you look at the talent, you look at the managers, you look at everything. It's a everything screams City right now. Yeah. But then the fact you have the fact that Guardiola has a reputation of overcomplicating Champions League finals and uh, just games in general. And City, in fact, haven't been impressive in uh, the Champions League in recent years. They reached the final in 2020-2021, but were defeated by Chelsea. And last season, they suffered a loss to Real Madrid in the semi-finals due to a late collapse. Remember that? Yeah, um, Benzema. Yeah, so Benjamin. we'll see if they overthink it. We'll see if the um, the occasion will be too much for them to handle. Now, you look at Erling Haaland, the animal. Um, he hasn't scored in the last seven games. But you know who has scored in the last seven games? Gundogan. Everyone. <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> so everyone, you look at this this fucking lineup, bro. You've got Haaland basically facing up against three centre-backs in Bastonia, yeah. Cherby and Darmian, right? Um, I wonder how they'll handle the runners into the box, bro. Like Gundogan, De Bruyne, these guys are going to be trying. Even Rodri and Stones, bro, will be entering there. Man. That's what they have to be careful of. Um, if they can contain that and remain focused enough to deal with these runners uh, and not get distracted by, all right, I have Holland, Holland's mind. Whoop, oh my God, he's coming in, you know? Mm. We'll, we'll see if they manage to. Yeah, they obviously need to play the game, not the occasion. They need to look at the, the opposing starting 11 like any other starting 11 that they've faced. Obviously, make the necessary tweaks that they need to make in order to stand a better chance against a team like City. But wow, man, this the City team really is something else. And it's going to be such a tough task for Inter. I think, like I said earlier, because my question is, how can Inter win this game? Yeah. And I think, like, there was the debate that we had on the WhatsApp Patreon group chat that was, who does Lautaro start alongside? That The debate is essentially between Correa, Zerko and Lukaku. Now, between Zerko and Lukaku. In between Zerko and Lukaku. <laughs> Um, no, but I mean, you have to take everyone yeah, yeah, into account. Yeah. I think Lukaku would be the best choice for a game like this. Now, obviously, Zerko knows City, even yeah. though he, he was there an age ago. Um, he has the experience. However, for a game like this, you do need... When, when you're playing such a defensive block and you kick the ball up, you want to give it to someone who's capable of holding off two, three men. Because he is going to be isolated up front by himself and he is going to find himself up against Arke, Diaz, Diaz, Walker, Rodri and Stones. So you need someone physical to be able to hold on to possession and to then play Dumfries or DeMarco or any of these central midfielders into a position where they're capable of scoring a goal. Now, this is where I view it differently. Um, I see the fact that... Um... City have such incredible squad depth, right? Mm. And again, they've got 100 million euro men on the bench, right? Inter have good squad depth and they can improve most areas with a substitution or reinforce adequately yeah. most positions. But the striking department 
is not quite that. If you start with Lukaku and Martinez, you can't bring any flair off the bench, apart from Correa. So that's why I, I think it might be wise for Inter to take a very cautious approach in the first half, play an experienced poacher who is also capable of holding the ball up very well, Zeko. What he's not capable of doing is running in behind and, um, you know, uh, out-muscling two or three men. But he's uh, he's no weakling, huh? No. Um, I think that if Lukaku is saved for the second half, Inter might actually be able to do some damage on the counter and expose some of the, the City defenders. And if it goes point. to penalties, you're saving Lukaku for that penalty shootout who has the, the, the famous 100% yeah. record yeah, yeah. for scoring That's penalties. That's another good point for you. It, it, it can go either way. The way I think of it as well is you bring on Zeko on the latter stages, that experience, that, that cool head when it's the 80-plus minute, 70-plus minute. That could also be a pro. You look at it either way, I think... Simone Enzaghi will be yeah. scratching his head about this decision. Um, and, and yeah, what do you guys think? Do you think Zeko should start? Do you think Lukaku should start? They're all valid. I don't think there's a right and wrong choice, if I'm being honest. It's very tough. We'll We're see. also looking at City, who just won the FA Cup final against United, mm-hmm. right? Starving for that treble. Yeah, they will yeah, be yeah, yeah. the second club in England to ever do it and the second club in Manchester to ever do it in England. So, massive, massive opportunity for City to... They're modern classics at this point. Yeah, yeah. To finally be able to put their names in history of the European stage against an Inter that haven't won the league in two seasons, but won two Coppa Italia's back-to-back, just won a Coppa, despite what was a bit of a traumatic Serie A experience for them this season, albeit they managed third, they, they went through turmoil at a point, they have the opportunity to win the double. Yes, yes, yes. And not to mention, they've won 11 of their last 12 games, Inter. So they're on red-hot form as well. Huh? Absolutely, bro. Inter yeah. haven't been better than they are right now since the season that they won the league. Yeah. Well, I genuinely probably, believe that. to be honest. Yes, with Lukaku finding his form by banging Me- Megan the Stallion. What's her name? Megan the fucking Stallion. I think it's bro. Romelu the fucking He's Stallion. Am I right? They would have wild sex, though. <laughs> they really would. You're joking. You're joking, Lukaku and Megan the Stallion. You're joking, dog. Oh my days. Yeah. They would have a wild time, man. So thank you guys. This has been our tactical analysis. So. <laughs> but even the, the City team, we're mentioning Gundogan, De Bruyne, Silva, Grealish, Haaland, Rodri, Stones. What about Mares? What about Phil fucking yeah, bro, yeah, What about Julian Alvarez, dog? Deep, bro, it's, it's deep. deep. Julian man. Alvarez was first identified, by the way, by Moncada, the new sporting director of Milan. There you go. Trust yeah. in Redbird. Trust in Redbird, baby. Card- card- oh, oh! Hashtag Cardinale all waving. <laughs> Cardinale for the win. <laughs> yeah. Um, your prediction, bro. Let's just get to that and we'll move on. City, and it will be a bit closer than people know. I think City will take a 2 0 lead. Inter will bring one back. It'll be 2 1 uh, by yeah, the final minute. Yeah, yeah. Fuck me. I asked you a question. I didn't even have the answer to it. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, it's either an Inter smashing, man, you know? Sorry, uh, City smash Inter. Bro, I don't know, man. I think I think City get it done. 
they get quite confident of that. It's the manner in which they get it done. I think think it won't be as straightforward as many think it will be. I think the game will be even until the end. Mm. And I think that City will just edge it, to be honest with you. I can't see City destroying this entire team. Um, Especially because of the occasion. Because if it's it's a one-off game in a 38-game season, sure, Inter can destroy this. Uh, Sorry, City can destroy this team. But... In a final where tension is going to be so high, you know, you're going to have the Inter fans who are going to be mental, bro. They're going Absolutely. to be mental. City fans are mean in England for, for mm. not making a single sound, you know. Uh, but but I think that is a little bit of a, a misconception because when I watch City games, it looks like they've got this new breed of fans that that, yeah. that are... Pretty upbeat. I doubt they'll go to the Champions League final and just and keep in yes, mind bro, a lot of the City fans doesn't have compare, been bro. through have been through worse than what we went through as Milan fans. Yes, These yes, old OG City fans will be at the Champions League final, being like, "What the fuck are we doing yeah. here?" Like, bro, these guys are no Kurvanord. The Kurvanord scare. No scary. way, the, the, I it, get it, that. Italian hooligans, bro. Send chills down your fucking spine when you mm. when when you experience it in real life. That fucking roar. Let me let me tell you the difference between a game in Italy and a game in England. Now we've we've been to both, right? Yeah. We've been lucky enough to attend a Premier League game. We've been lucky enough to attend a Serie A game. England make there, there's this sound in the fans in England. Yeah. When there's a goal, it's yeah. When there's a goal in fucking Italy, it's go go. G- that fucking g- you feel it in your fucking yes. your entire body, yes. bro. It floors you. Yes. It floors you. Yes. You don't want to fuck. It. There's that base, bro. There's that base in Italy, bro, and it fucks you're you up. up you're, like I went to watch uh, Milan Verona with my good friend Zach, Jamie, and Theo, three of my best friends. Right? Zach doesn't like football, but he tune into the World Cup. He'll do this, he'll do that, and he'll, he'll get into it. But he's always been a tennis guy. Um, Theo supports United Has a massively high football IQ I had him on the podcast And I had Jamie on the podcast as well Who's our Chelsea fan They've watched plenty of games They told me I have never And they've seen finals and stuff I have never seen an atmosphere Like Milan Verona With the Curva Sud With the entire stadium Knowing every single word to every single song Getting behind the players the Chanting to the final whistle The TFOs yeah. Come on, yeah, man. Yeah. Italian fucking football. All the yeah, way, dog. All the way, all, all, the, the, way, way. all the way. The power of friendship. Yes, the power of fucking friendship, dog. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. let's move on to the next final where the Italian team lost. Yes, this, <laughs> this is a review, not a preview. Which exactly. Personally, I prefer. I prefer talking I prefer, about what has happened yeah, than what but, will happen. Because, you know, there's always that. I heard Oli Fisher. From the Sempre Milan podcast, shout out to the Sempre Milan podcast, shout out to um, uh, Oli Fisher, who said... And Torgrud. Uh, and Torgrud and, and, and all the boys, yeah. um, saying that he'd rather review a game than, than preview a game, because when you preview it, it's, it's, it's old news. Ah, but I disagree. You've got all the stats in play that yeah. you can analyze. You've got, <laughs> imagine, imagine You've this got the happenings right of the game, you know. Imagine this episode on Sunday, the day after Inter lose 4 0 to City. Marom. <laughs> Marom, Marom, Marom. Yeah. Um, let's, let's cover the Europa League final. So, uh, for those of you that didn't tune in, it was a 1 1 draw until the final whistle. Um, it was Roma that opened the scoring through Paolo Dybala and then Sevilla equalizing through a non-goal by Mancini who had assisted Dybala in the initial goal. 
Roma got the first goal, they tried to defend, Sevilla put, put too much pressure on, they introduced players like Suso and Lamela that came on and did a fantastic job to turn the game around and they managed to take it to penalties and they destroyed Roma on penalties. That is very brief. We have way more talking points, so do stay tuned. Yes, um, first of all, let's start with the starting 11. So, of course, Sevilla are managed by Jose Luis Mendilibar. Mendilibar apparently was brought in to save Sevilla from relegation this season and ended up finishing 12th and winning the Europa League. So it's safe to say that that was a su- successful investment for yeah. for Sevilla. Now, Sevilla lined up with the World Cup Moroccan hero Bono in goal, not to be confused with the U2 lead singer. Alex Don't Teas, confuse him at all. Alex Teas as left-back, Hethuth Navas as right-back, um, Nemanja Gudel at centre-back with Loich Bade. Now, Gudel, you remember him from the Serie Yeah. Yeah. Rakitic and Fernando were the holding midfielders with Brian Gill, Oliver Torres and Lucas Ocampos who you'll remember from his stints at Genoa and Milan playing behind Youssef and Nesiri up front now for Jose Mourinho's Roma watch how much smoother this pronunciation yeah. is going to be Rui Patricio was in goal with Gianluca Mancini Chris Smalling and Roger Ibanez at the back Zeki Celic was on the right Leonardo Spinazzola on the left with Nermanja Matic and Brian Cristante in the middle Paolo Dybala and Lorenzo Pellegrini played behind Tammy Abraham Nermanja Matic Nermanja dog Nermanja bro <laughs> Give me some ganj! <laughs> Nermanja Matic. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Oh, this martini is really good. Martini Rosso. We're drinking Martini Rosso, guys. Shout out to Martini. Please sponsor us the same way you're sponsoring Love Island. What the hell? What um, the hell? Martini is- Rosso is all we drank during COVID. We went through yeah. a bottle a day. Essentially. This is, <laughs> this is vermouth. My first, my earliest memory with vermouth was the fact that it was the first drink I ever had. In hospital. In hospital, yes. Shout out Nanunev. Shout out Nanunev, baby. Yeah, bro. Um, if you look at the squads, they're quite experienced. You know, experience ruled over everything over here. The average age of the Sevilla squad was 30.2 years, while the Roma squad's age was 29.3 years. Despite Nermanja Matic. Despite Nermanja on the midfield. <laughs> now... <laughs> Sevilla dominated possession in the first half, but obviously they struggled to break Roma down. In the 30th minute, Paolo Dybala, who was initially doubtful due to injury, um, but of course, it's a classic Mourinho tactic. Everyone knew Dybala was going to start. He started and he scored. After Mancini played him through brilliantly over there. Defense splitting pass. Honestly, amazing. Everyone's out here talking about the the pass of, was it Declan Rice? No, Paqueta. Paqueta, yeah. Everyone's talking about that pass. Gianluca Mancini, fratello. Gianluca Mancini. History is written by the victors, not the Gianlucas. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but eventually, when that goal was scored, I personally thought this is done. Because Mourinho, final 1 0. Yeah, yeah. Mourinho 1 0, done. Exactly. Exactly. No hope. No hope for Sevilla. But DNA. DNA. Sevilla have that fucking Europa League DNA and they continued to dominate possession and came close to equalizing just before halftime when Rakitic hit the post. Now in the second half, they made a few substitutions. Sevilla, they brought on um, Suso and 
What's Lamela. Susan Lamela, yes, there we go, thank you. Um, it increased their attacking threat and they actually played very well, man. Suso has been revitalized. Yeah, no? two yeah. very lively players mm. and I was surprised because you look at, um, uh, can you pull up the original lineup for me, please? Oh, of I believe it was Brian Gill, was it? Yeah, yeah. Brian Gill, who was having a very, very good game. Mm. And I was surprised to see him substituted at halftime to bring on Lamela and Suso. But wow, those guys really, really changed the game. So direct, so lively, so naughty, man. <laughs> yeah, so naughty. No. <laughs> he had to make it weird. <laughs> I had no idea what the fuck to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> They're bad, bad boys. These yeah, two. They deserve a spanking. No. <laughs> Sevilla equalized in the 55th minute when a cross from Jesus Navas was, of course, inadvertently bundled into the back of the net. Um, by Gianluca Mancini, the defender, who in this game gave an assist, scored an own goal and missed his penalty. Yeah. Yeah, what a fucking game by Gianluca Mancini. <laughs> 20 minutes later after this, Sevilla thought they had won a penalty due to a challenge from Ibanez, but, but the decision was overturned by VAR. Extra time was brutal. Yep. It was brutal. Lower quality than anything we saw in the Conference League final, for example. I actually think that Roma had a bit of an edge at extra time. But yes, it was very low quality towards extra time. Mm -hmm. I saw people say the entire game was low quality. I, I disagree. No way. You're looking at two different styles going head to head. Mm. You've got the defensive approach, you've got the controlling approach. In all three approach. finals, you have the exact same approach. Absolutely. You've got the exact same setup. You have the defensive side that counters against... The team that likes to control and dominate and insert. Sorry, there weren't seven fucking goals, guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, simpleton. No. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yes, extra time was boring as shit. Perhaps both teams should have had a penalty. Um, particularly Rome at the end. I thought it was quite clear their penalty at the end, but it was not it, given. It's such a grey area that yeah. they need to sort out these extended arms with handballs and, and, oh, and so on and so forth. The, the, the elbow down... The elbow down slightly extended to me is a penalty. To me, chop the arm off, see what happens like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it I, doesn't I matter did. if it's accidental like. Exactly. What the fuck? It was yeah. an accident. Half the mistakes. Mistakes are fucking accidents. Yeah, you get a free you abortion because it was an accident. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Literally though. <laughs> Yeah. Literally, everything's an accident. I've made accidents at, at work and I got punished for exactly, them yeah. when I was a waiter. Yeah, now as the head of sales of free hour, he doesn't head make any of commercial. Head dog. of commercial. Yes, sorry. sir. Think I fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, basically it went to penalties. Um, for some reason, the first three people to take penalties <laughs> for Roma were, and I was telling you this is probably because Mourinho values the personality over the skill yep. set of yep. the player, the mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Brian Cristante, Gianluca Mancini, Roger Rebanez. Now. Let's start off by saying Roger Ibanez spent an entire game getting, getting whacked in the We're head. not going to talk about the not fact you. that he was concussed for the entire yes. fucking game. <laughs> yes. And let me tell you what, Ibanez is a dangerous player to have as a centre-back. We've seen what he's done on the biggest stages. Mm. A concussed Ibanez? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're and, joking. And he's taking your third penalty when the, one, when the previous one has missed. No, mm. thank you. Now, of course, um, Cristante scored. Mancini missed. Ibanez missed. Um, Gonzalo Montiel, who scored the winning penalty for Argentina in the World Cup, managed to score the decisive penalty for Sevilla to win them the Europa League title. Initially, 
saved by Rui Patricio in fantastic fashion. However, oh, yes. there was an encroachment because he was, in fact, oh, yes. off the line. Exactly. For that. Um, <laughs> not what you expected to see over there. No. Um, and to be honest with you, I hadn't even realized there was, there was a retake for a while. Yeah. It was really unclear. Screaming, it was really eh? unclear. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, Mourinho loses his first ever final yep. of a European tournament, and um, and Sevilla continue to dominate. What's this? They're they're what Europa League seventh, seventh, seventh. seventh yeah, the most Europa successful League. team in Europa League history, yeah. and one of the most successful clubs in recent history in European competitions. Now, obviously, there are no Real Madrid, um, but but they are there in European competitions. They've had fantastic success, yeah. and the fact that they managed to do it with this manager. Who went in when you get a manager to help save you from relegation? The number one task on this manager's mind is how do I not lose this game? How do I get something out of this game? Suddenly you're in a final, one game against Mourinho's Roma, and you need to see okay, we can win this game. Hey, we have to win this game. That change in mentality is not fucking easy. And for this manager to take on that burden and that responsibility, it's not fucking easy for him. Sure, he has 400 professional games as a professional manager, but before that, he was a nobody. He was a nobody. He was in the he was always in the lower tier of Spain and and in lower tiers around the world. And look what he managed to do. If you were to tell me that it's all him, credit where it's due. He did a fantastic job. He got them the, the W. He got them a trophy when the team were facing relegation before him. But if you're telling me there isn't an element of fucking DNA in these competitions, you're joking, man. You're yeah, joking. Yeah. You face Mourinho in the final as a, as a, as a bottom-tier manager and you win? DNA, brother. Knowing you have done it before will give you the motivation and the cool head to do it again. Exactly. And I, I think this is the case with... Um, you look at many, for example children of professional anything, to be honest, yeah. um, succeeding in that very same field. You're probably looking at an example, you know, you're looking at an extension of, of yourself, essentially your father or your mother. You're saying they did it. I have their genetics. I can do it too, yeah. for example, you know? Yeah, 100%. Let's talk a bit about Mourinho though. And Anthony Taylor, right? And Anthony Taylor, yes. um, of course. So Mourinho, just like the Labour government a few years ago, <laughs> set up an environment for chaos, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, well put. <laughs> yes. Um, Mourinho could be seen screaming at Anthony Taylor, running straight towards him as, as the final. Being leader. held back, being like being he wanted to back, fight yes. And he created this kind of disdain that, that already exists, but he encouraged it towards Anthony Taylor. And Anthony Taylor landed... Um, I'm not sure if it was when he was landing or when he was taking off. He was at an airport, basically, with his family. And you can see the Roma fans who just abusing him and his family, chanting, going towards him. You see people holding Anthony Taylor to try to protect him as these guys are Throwing just shoving chairs him, and chanting, Forza Roma, Forza Roma. What him. happened before that, though? Mourinho was waiting for him yeah, in the car park exactly, after the yes. game to give him a piece of his mind, calling him a fucking disgrace or yes, saying, this yes, is yes. a fucking disgrace. I'm not too sure. The, how much does this bother you on a scale of 1 to 10? Mourinho's antics. Everything, the whole situation. The Mourinho antics bother me a lot because there is one side of Mourinho that is the charming James Bond villain of football, which we all know and love. 
But then th- there was always an element of class mm-hmm. to, to Mourinho, which in his older years and towards the latter stages of this career that we've admired of, of Mourinho, he has fallen off that charm and he's become manic. He but just simply always, has become but manic. But he's always been super controversial, super out of line, super edgy. It may be, perhaps it was more charming because he was younger. Did you see him? <sighs> did you see him down there? On the touchline, being held back by his entire staff yeah, because he's so going well. for the referee. <laughs> that you try losing your first friend. final at the age of sixty something. Yes, but you have to lead by example over there. Now the argument is, Mourinho does this to take some pressure off the players that are on the pitch, right? He wants to show that that this is a, a team sport. If anyone's mm-hmm. going to get sent off for complaining, it's someone from the bench. They're behind the team. They're this and that. I understand it to a certain extent. I do. But as the manager of the club, who was brought on because of his pedigree, because of his experience, because of his leadership qualities, because of his rawness as a manager, to lose his head completely like that on the biggest stage Roma were in for the past however many fucking years is absolutely chaotic and shambolic to me because you should lead by example and you should be a leader over there. There's a fucking... Penalty shootout around the corner, and you're hot-headed, screaming, losing your mind. Try calm your players down. They're stepping up to he take the biggest the penalty, penalty of their fucking careers. Maybe he thought at that point the decision would be reverted. But there's a reason not anyone is employed for these roles. There's a reason professionals are employed. But at, because the sa- at the same time, bro, I, I view it as... So, at the end, this is entertainment. This is sports. You have characters Don't in give sports. Me that, you have bro. characters in sports. If everyone was caca, I wouldn't even watch football. I understand that, but if everyone lost their head in the final minute, then no results would ever come your way. And if this guy wants a formula, after he ditched Serie A to try to get a result over mm-hmm. here, fuck Champions League, let's try to get Champions League through the Europa League. You have to give it your all And if it means Sometimes the toughest thing you can do Is shut up and be a professional That is the hardest thing you can do On a stage like that Because the emotions are going crazy You've got 80,000 people losing their shit in the stadium Throwing shit into the stadium Calling you names The toughest thing you can do Is remain professional and lead by example And I I think Mourinho failed to do that No, Heading into the penalty shootout Definitely I mean he didn't keep his school at all And he probably riled up his players And created some form of anxiety Which contributed to the loss It's true But I'm talking about From an entertainment point of view Top I mean brilliant television If you're Mm, watching As a as And the problem is The the Roma fans I'm concerned about The fact that Anthony Taylor For example um, I I think the situation Should be observed And dealt with a little bit more Carefully When you see a, A referee Perhaps after a final Of any sort should have some form of security with him when, when going through an airport. 100%. Of course, like, joking, you know, no like... shit. No shit, bro. But anyway, bro, I don't know if there's anything you'd like to add about the Europa League. Perhaps we should move on to the Conference League. We can't move on to the Conference League. I don't think there's many more talking points to, yeah. to add over here. I don't think there was a, a clear-cut winner in this. I think, like I said earlier, Sevilla kept their heads much mm. better than, than Roma did. It seemed like Roma were playing for the shootout by wasting time, which is very interesting mm. considering how they got murked in the shootout. I mean, Sevilla were clearly the stronger team in, in keeping their heads and, and getting victory through the shootout. Definitely, bro. Let us move on to the Conference League final that took place um, 
the day before yesterday, was it? Yeah, the day before yeah. yesterday. It was between yeah. Fiorentina and West Ham and the score ended with a 2-1 victory to West Ham. Now yes, Jared Bowen getting the winner there quite late on for West Ham. What are they chanting now for? For to Pioli's on fire. Bowen's on fire. And he's shagging Danny Dyer. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's with Dyer's he's daughter. With Danny Dyer's daughter. Yeah. And Danny Dyer is like one of the biggest West Ham fans in the world, allegedly. That's, that's hilarious. So, yeah. So, yes, Vincenzo Italiano, of course, is the coach of Fiorentina. Um, we know this team very well, if, <laughs> if you listen. Um, <laughs> Terracciano was in goal with Dodo, Milenkovic, Ranieri and Biragi at the back. Don't ask me why Ranieri was starting. Don't um, ask me either, please. Uh, but to be honest, um, Cabral, Cabral's performance of the bench, perhaps, would give you an indication as to why. Now... Mm. Amrabat and Mandragora were playing in the holding midfield row with Bonaventura playing as a Trequatista with Nico Gonzalez and Kwame playing off the shoulders of Jovic. For West Ham, it was Areola, not only the nipple in goal, <laughs> Kufal and Emerson as the fullbacks with Agward and Zuma at the back. Declan Rice and Suchek were the holding midfielders with Lucas Paqueta, the former Milan man, in the pocket over there with Benarama, Bowen, Playing off the shoulders of Antonio. Sorry, I fucking butchered that. Ben Rama, Ben Rama, Ben Rama, yeah, Ben Rama, yeah, Ben Rama. Then I won, I won. Now, yes, um, the game basically was all Fiorentina, right? Fiorentina totally dominated the game, and they set the tempo of the game, and they dictated the pace of how the game went. However, the first half was in fact goalless. Um, West Ham eventually took the lead through a penalty scored by Saeed ben Benarama in the 62nd minute. This was after a Biragi handball. Yeah. Um, Biragi, who was bleeding from his head, by the yeah. way. We'll, we'll get into, yeah, we'll we'll get get into, into all the details of the game. However, Fiorentina quickly equalized with a trademark goal by Giacomo Bonaventura. Classic Bonaventura goal. What a there. goal, it's bro. So, so opportunistic. He saw yeah. the gap for a split second and he took it, man. Played the ball right through it. Yeah. The match seemed destined for extra time. And we thought we were in for a treat over here, bro, until... Jared Bowen scored the winning goal for West Ham in the 90th minute after being played through brilliantly by Paqueta and Igor deciding not to break his ankles. Now, in, in a situation like that, when you're a defender, you're fresh, you've just come on. Well, you, you came on in the second half for Ranieri, right? Mm. Um, this guy is this guy's a starter, the guy who's clean through. He's been playing all game. You know, yeah. He's more tired than you are. Mm. He's clean through one goal. He's got the whole half to cover. You're running side by side to him. You fucking break his legs, don't you? You have to. You have to. You, we've seen Valverde do it. We've seen Ramos Solskjaer do, do it. it. We've seen, seen Ramos do it. At that Chiellini. point, you prioritize the team. You say, fuck it. We'll go into the second half. This is a team that's defensively set up. We will play for penalties. But they're not scoring right now. That's what you have to say. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think you could have taken one for the team over oh there. Oh my god! Naturally, it's a split-second decision, and it's always you, you know you need to have a massive personality and massive grit in order oh, to be make a decision like that. He's running side by side with him, bro. He couldn't catch him. Like he couldn't catch him. He could have yeah. taken him down. He yeah, absolutely have, could sure. have taken down. And and Italiano was quick to point that out. Huh? He was quick to point it out to Igor. He was quick to yeah, point yeah, it out yeah. to the journalists. He made no secret of it. It's like we could have won the game had Igor taken that player down. Had Igor taken Bowen down. We could be champions right now. And I think he does deserve criticism for his decision-making at that time. Doesn't mean he doesn't love the club. I just think his decision-making was a bit off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
if if that's a question of decision making, then he should study the fucking the, the significance of the stage, bro. Because I, it's a no brainer. I get you. I get you. Yes, I, I I agree. You don't even think that, about it in that situation. Maybe he said, oh, "Am am I really gonna do this when we have thirty minutes of extra time ahead of us?" Yeah, that's the playing thing. as as ten men. And maybe he's thinking, "I've just come on. I don't want to get sent off in a European final." Maybe, maybe I don't know what his motives were. I just <laughs> know that the final decision was was yeah. wrong. It could have been a different story in that case, but this win actually well. this win marks West Ham's first major European trophy and their first major trophy since 1980. Jared Bowen's goal also made history as he became the first Englishman to score the winning goal in a major European final since 1994. My God! Yes. What? Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An Englishman hasn't scored the winning goal in a major European final since 1994. <sighs> you get that right, bro. Yeah, it's it's quite a crazy stuff when you think that the Premier League is allegedly the biggest league in the yeah. world. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, Italiano was fucking furious with Igor. Um, he said he could have prevented the winning goal. Um, Nikola Milenkovic acknowledged the lapse of concent- in concentration for Fiorentina to concede that second yeah. goal. And this loss adds to Fiorentina's record of four losses in their last, in their five, sorry, European finals in total, um, with their only victory coming in the 1961 Cup Winners' Cup final. Um, yeah. That's two finals lost in a row for Vincenzo Italiano and Fiorentina, tough one we should one, be speaking about very soon. Take, bro. Uh, that, absolutely. I think they'll keep on rising. And, and I, I think especially Italiano, he just keeps on adding and adding and adding to his resume. Mm-hmm. You see in, in 2018 when he joined Trapani and he got them promoted to Serie B from Serie C in a playoff win. And then a year later... Joining Spezia and Serie B and getting them promoted to Serie A in a playoff win. And then in 2020, he kept them in Serie A as, as one of the favourites for relegation. And then in 2021, um, he joined Fiorentina and he qualified for European football after a very disappointing season, the season before for Fiorentina. And then this season, 2022-2023, he reached the Europa Conference League final and the Coppa Italia final. Mm-hmm. And he's probably heading to Europe again next year. What a massive manager. What great he's strides he's, he's made. In the matter of four seasons, this guy has turned from an, nothing to one of the, the best managers in the world at the he's moment. A, you look at vacant spots. Manager. You look at vacant spots at Napoli, for example. They'll be studying him. He plays a 4-3-3. Napoli play a 4-3-3. Um, what's his name? The 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 owner of, of Napoli, De Laurentiis, said he's got 10 managers in his shortlist. They all have one thing in common. They all play 4-3-3. Italiano definitely yeah. is one of them. Probably, he has probably. to be. Apparently, Luis Enrique and Zidane are on shortlist. Mm. Interesting. Interesting how Zidane makes your shortlist. Hey. Zidane shortlist. Right now. <laughs> you be your target. But anyway, um, yeah, bro. Um, I forgot to mention, Sir Jovic also scored offside in the first half. It was ruled off. Um, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He looked. Yeah. He looked devastated. Mm. Um, you you mentioned that Fiorentina controlled the game, which. I agree. I think mm-hmm. from a tempo perspective, from a possession perspective, it was all Fiorentina. I think where Fiorentina struggled were in two areas in it this game. Is Insurgion one of them? Yes. Well, number number one was the, the supporters of West Ham. Um, which of obviously Because of all the bubbles. <laughs> because of all the fucking vapes and cups that were yes. being hurled at the players that, that 
caused Biragi to get stitches midway through the the first half. A vape to the back of his head. I don't think I've ever seen that much blood on a football pitch before yeah, yeah, before yeah. I saw Biragi like well. that. It was it was crazy. Now there are certain characters that, that motivates them, like Biragi being one of them, like Milenkovic probably being another. There are other characters that obviously would feel intimidated by such a, a, an atmosphere. And obviously terrible, terrible behavior by a select group of West Ham fans, dangerous behavior. They should never be allowed in a stadium. Ever again. There's also before the game, apparently Fiorentina fans ignited a bit of a, a yeah, coming yeah, together yeah, yeah, with West course. Ham fans. It was very physical, huh? But the the second point I was going to make, the second point where Fiorentina struggled was individuals. Certain individuals were an absolute handful for them to handle. The likes of Antonio, the likes of Bowen, and the likes of Paqueta and Benarama gave them. <laughs> oh my god oh, Sorry. You ruined the whole show oh, Gave them a really really tough time Antonio's physicality Bowen and Benarama's directness Paqueta just orchestrating that midfield I think as a squad Fiorentina are better I think individually West Ham might have had a bit of an edge hmm. With the amount of guys they have Capable of finding the back of the net I just think that um, they have their, their team works For what they want to do man West Ham They've got flair and they've got solidity as well, you know? Not solidarity, but solidity. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that individually, probably Fiorentina do actually take the cake ever so slightly. However, if you have to look at the market prices, it's probably not the case because of, of mm. course, Premier League prices. Yeah. But yeah, bro, um, to your point as to how the players were handled, apparently Bianco as well suffered a broken nose, Fiorentina and some altercations after the game. Comisso, Rocco Comisso, the president of Fiorentina, uh, said they are all animals for how they treated our footballers. He said. It's all disgusting. Of them. They're all animals. And I mean, not, not all the fans. The, the, that select group... There were a lot. The, the select group wasn't three individuals. Yeah. It was plenty. It was the Green Street hooligans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just the like bubble blowing maniacs. Fucking don't fucking attack the players. Don't fucking attack anyone yeah. for crying out fucking loud, man. <laughs> out there throwing shit at these guys. You're there for like stop yeah. it, man. It's twenty two people that put the show on, yeah. not just your eleven. Fucking, I couldn't, you can't I couldn't fucking... believe how much blood came out of Biragi's head, bro. God, bro. My God. It was yeah. shocking. It was yeah. shocking. Okay, bro. Shall we quickly go over the Coppa Italia final? Because that happened. I feel, it feels like it happened a year ago. Yeah. I do want to mention one more thing. Please, please, um, please. Obviously, we mentioned previously how Sevilla employed their manager to avoid relegation. Moyes didn't have a, an easy time. In England this year, he managed he managed to get 14th place, which was, I believe, just nine pla- nine points out of the relegation zone. So they struggled domestically as well. But they put their eggs in this basket. They managed to avoid relegation, which actually went down to quite a late stage of the season. And it was getting ridiculously close. Our West Ham mm-hmm. going to get fucking relegated here with players like Paqueta, players like Rice, players like Antonio Scamacca and all these guys. But he managed to save them. He got himself his first professional trophy ever. And boy, oh boy, did he look happy with his little, really not smooth and charismatic dance at all, but just a really happy and sweet dance. No, no? He, he looks like 
he's so not used to winning trophies. Like, yeah, like the way yeah. he the way he celebrated and the way he he was so over the moon. Like you remember when Sarri won the Europa League with Chelsea. Yes, 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 yes. The Europa League with Chelsea. Yes. Hazard had scored. Yeah, exactly. Um, you remember him looking at his medal and just spending like like a whole minute just yeah. playing with his medal in his hand, smiling and looking that at shit it. shit makes me too You can happy. tell, like, he's never won much in his life. And it was the same mm. situation over here with Moyes. And Moyes has had a bit of a nightmare since his United days. Yeah. And, uh, well, he had a nightmare at United and he's actually been decent since. He has been. Yeah, he yeah. has been, 100%. But um, it's, again, happy for him. Why yeah. not? Yes. One more thing. Wow. The Conference League was introduced a couple of seasons ago. The first time it took place was last year, second time this year. I have to say, in the beginning, I was a bit critical of it. Like, what, we're just going to keep adding competitions yeah. for worse teams, worse teams, worse teams, worse teams. But how can you look at the passion that goes behind every team competing for this? How can you look at those winners with their medals, those losers in tears, the winners lifting the trophy, an entire city in celebration, people crying, devastation, despair, everything. How can you look at that and say that this isn't one of the greatest competitions in the world, in, in, in all of sports? The so Conference League final has come in. And sure, the quality is a bit lower. Sure, until the semifinals, you're like, who even are these guys? But the importance of it, guys, to these to these teams that aren't used to winning anything, you've got West Ham and Fiorentina going head-to-head in final for a European trophy. It's great, man. It's only done it's good great. things, it's great. the Conference it's great. League. And the more competitions you have, technically, the more... Um, how am I going to word this? The more games consistently you give... Look <laughs> at this guy. You're like me. The more the consistently <laughs> games you give... <laughs> The, the more best. consistent no, the no, games no, they me, are. <laughs> so you look at the top, whatever, the Europa League teams and the Champions League teams, they've got to play twice, three times a week. Yes. With another competition, more people will have to pay exactly. play. Exactly. So it's more of a like so level it's more kind of a high. Yeah. You're balancing it out a bit for the top teams. Um, I, I think it's beautiful giving the underdogs a chance. I've always, I've always liked this. And I really enjoyed the, the Conference League final. I thought it was... Even better quality than the Europa League final. I, I believe yes. so. And you know what? For next year's Conference League final, keep your eyes on Hamroon fucking Spartans, Fuck baby. You. Joseph Portelli. La, 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 la. Yeah. Remember, there was that Hamroon tournament. Spartans, for those of you who don't know, are the Maltese powerhouse of a football team yes. that has been dominating. They're, they're backed by a construction businessman tycoon oh, yeah. who's just tossing money into them. And... Who owns another team called Shokia Tigers, I believe. <laughs> and he made himself an official player of the club at like 47 years old. Went on and scored a winning penalty. Yes, sir. It was ridiculous. Legendary. But remember that competition in Italy called the Coppa Italia? Yes, I, I think it's about it. time we fucking cover sure. it and not mention it just yeah. like randomly. Inter won the Coppa Italia with a comeback victory against Fiorentina. Lautaro Martin. Martinez's record-breaking brace secured the ninth Coppa Italia title for Inter. Martinez's 101st goal for the club. Is that clear? 101st goal but, for the but club. But it's not like 100 and the first. It's 101st together, 101st, you know? Continue, man. Okay. <laughs> Martinez's 101st goal for the club helps coach Inzaghi claim his seventh consecutive 
final victory despite going behind early inter showed resilience and fighting spirit and the victory actually sent a message to manchester city ahead of the champions league final that they are not to be fucked with as yep. you know um Fiorentina are also european finals yep. now Pietro Terracciano was in goal for Fiorentina as they deployed their 4-2-3-1 formation with Beraghi, Martinez, Quarta, Milenkovic and Dodo at the back with Amrabat and Castrovilli playing as the defensive midfielders with Jonathan Ekona on the left, Nico Gonzalez on the right and Giacomo Bonaventura playing behind Arthur Cabral. For Inter it was a 3-5-2 formation of course with Handanovic in goal, Darmian, Acerbi and Bastoni at the back with Dumfries on the right and DiMarco on the left, Chalanoglu, Brozovic and Barella in the middle with Zeko and Lautaro up front now the first goal came three minutes into the match as Gonzalez quickly scored um, the opening goal it was a well executed team play involving uh, Dodo Bonaventura corner intricate passing and then eventually he slotted it into the back of the net for Inter um, their first goal came in the 29th minute that is when Lautaro Martinez managed to equalize he was assisted by Brozovic's delicate through ball and kept on side by Milenkovic Martinez found the back of the net with a diagonal finish this goal marked his 100th goal for Inter and then just a few moments later in the 38th minute Barella delivered an excellent cross and Martinez converted with a right-footed volley leaving Terracciano helplessly rooted um, and yeah, they managed to hold out and of course as compact as Intercom and as um, inconsistent as Fiorentina can be when it comes to insertion, you know, um, I find I find that they they struggle against compact sides, they struggle against low blocks, they, they, they get there well, they get around the area well, they have everyone in a prime position but then they just can't quite penetrate and I do feel like that the best people when it comes to Penetrating for Fiorentina are actually Saponara and Gonzalez. No, I, I I agree one hundred percent. I think one thing you'll see with Inter, one thing you'll notice with Inter and their success, they tend to get a lot of the dirty work done in, in the space of ten to fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they they're capable of being a unit, being a squad, and sticking to the task. Whether it's going out to get a goal or whether it's defending for mm-hmm. your life, that's exactly what they do, and that's what they did in this game. And it gets me to think of the Champions League final and if they're capable of, I don't know, having 10 10 minutes of brilliance and and getting something done Mm. over there. That's exactly what they did here. Now, Fiorentina are no Man City, but Fiorentina are on hot form. Their rise from January on to now has been a steady, steady increase, man. And they're no easy team to face. And Inter once again showed great solidarity in doing that and they showed great objectiveness they know what their objective is whether they're attacking whether they're defending whether they're doing whatever the fuck they're doing they do it as a squad and you see those 11 players in that one shape shifting moving intact so such an organized team with that three at the back i think they're a tough task for anyone and i think yeah they rightfully deserved to win this game yeah um definitely um again Statistically, Fiorentina is slightly superior in every area, but because that's when, Inter defended. But that's though. when it comes to it, though. Yeah, exactly. It's the same. It's the same situation with West Ham. Um, Fiorentina, man. I'm, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm sorry to say this because I really like the team, but they ain't got that dog in them. Steps to success, brother. You know, that's what I'll say. They, you remember the whole Mourinho speech with Spurs where he told them to be cunts to be a bastard be a cunt, uh, be a cunt. it was a cunt you know, not a I bastard I think a cunt it was yeah um, 
yeah, West Ham were busted. They were cunts against against Fiorentina. You know, they were literally drawing blood. They were super physical. They were fucking slapping them to the ground. It was that they were playing very, very well with that regard. For Inter, again here, Inter are very good at being cunts. They're very good at killing the game off, being compact, knocking you a bit too hard, you know, to show you that you're there. That's that's exactly what they did, bro. They've got and players they that they've got players that want to represent the club. They've got players mm-hmm. that want to wear the shirt. They've got a manager that is hungry for victories. That's one thing I can say about him, Simone Enzaghi, is that his ambition. He always wants to go out there and win, no matter what the situation is. Um, and 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 yeah, I mean that was the difference between the two teams in this game. Yeah. I think. Fiorentina would have known they went into this game as underdogs. I think even after finding the net after three minutes, understanding the fact that there's... Sometimes it's harder when you concede a goal so early and you've got 87 minutes yeah, left to yeah, play yeah, than yeah. if it's a nil-nil or you're one goal behind because the objective isn't essentially clear. Because if you hang on for 87 minutes, you can't. It's so tough to hang on for 87 minutes, especially when you're the underdogs. So that goal actually did put them in kind of a a tricky situation as as funny as it seems yeah, man yeah that's that's a very good point bro um yeah i mean i i don't really have much it was so long ago it my memory is a bit so much has happened uh-huh, it's a bit foggy on it so yeah. sorry we couldn't give you guys the rundown that that you were after yeah but, but i'm sure this is adequate enough <laughs> yeah inter got a trophy um fiorentina lost out in two finals that's essentially the the tale of the tape over here Let's move on to the relegation playoff that's going to take place. When is it going to take place between Verona and Spezia? I believe it's on Sunday, but this is, this confuses me because how can there be the Serie B playoff and the Serie A playoff on the same day, just moments apart? Let me confirm. That's exactly the case. 8.45, you have Spezia, Verona. 8.30, you have Bari, Cagliari. No! That's fucking terrible. Dude, there are two games left in the season and you put them... <sighs> on the same day I guess they have to though Why? I guess they have to play at the same time man To know who goes up and who goes down I at the same guess, time I don't think dog. it makes a difference I guess man Ugh, no. but, but anyway let's not let our negativity ruin the spectacle that this game is going to be Verona, Spezia Two sides that have struggled significantly this season Spezia wasn't exactly a shock Because... They don't essentially have the personnel. They don't have a history of success in the league. Yes, they had Italiano before. Um, yes, they had Motta last season. But this season it was an entirely new system that just seemed to scream, try avoid relegation rather as, than as fight, and, does, fight and fight and fight. <laughs> but it wasn't experimental the same way that Motta was the same way that Italiano mm, yes, was that yes. to us would seem yeah, experimental yeah. but it would have been tried and tested for them but this just screamed avoid relegation for Spezia Verona on the other hand had a great season last season a great season the season before they just keep but selling and again, selling and declining selling and declining. and declining and declining and all of a sudden here they are Verona versus Spezia. So Verona are in 18th place on 31 points in the relegation zone. Spezia 17th on the same points with a worse goal average than Verona, but with a positive direct encounter against Verona. Doesn't matter though, 31 points apiece, so off to a playoff we go. Must say I'm a big fan of this. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Yeah. 
Um, there was a lot of controversy surrounding the decision to actually hold this relegation playoff match um, in a neutral venue. Why? Because the original venue was the Dacia Arena in Udine. And apparently, of course, not apparently, it is actually closer to La Spezia than it is to Verona. So mm-hmm. they would have to travel less. So they're already compl- complaining. They were already complaining that um, Spezia have that advantage. And then, of course, there were concerns about public safety and um, potential clash between rival fan groups on the A4 highway <laughs> and whatever the fuck that is. Um <laughs> Yes, they considered this decision to be ill-advised and expressed their concerns about the difficulties faced by law enforcement in ensuring security. In response to the complaints, the Lega Serie selected the Mape Stadium in Reggio Emilia as an alternative venue. The capacity will be reduced so there won't be as many fans. Um, separate sections will be allocated to each team. Only fan supporters with a valid fan card from Liguria and Veneto will be allowed to enter. Um and yeah, um, there are a bunch of fucking measures that will be taken basically um, regarding the gate openings and the logistics with it and law enforcement will be present. And yeah, like, the boring stuff, the guys. Boring Do you stuff. think this should have been one leg, one neutral like ground one leg, final I leg? Like, I, or, like, I like one leg. But at, like this area, the final is over two legs, which to mm. me is disgusting. A final should never be two legs. I think... To mirror that, having this game over two legs would just have more consistency and make it a bit more fair. To me, they both should be played over one leg. The Serie B playoff final and the Serie A playout Mm. final should both be one leg. Neutral stadium, it's a fucking final. I find it weird that the Serie B has two legs for the final. Then the Serie A playout is one leg. It's it's, it's odd. It is. It's odd. And and the away rule still counts in Serie B. Fucking weird, man. Very weird. In the event of a draw in this fixture, it will go straight to penalties. No extra no time. No extra time. No extra Fuck time. Fuck me. Get yeah. the popcorn out, guys. Spezia's coach has expressed his concerns about the suspensions of two key players, Amian and Jazi. No, I don't think he's been watching very closely. <laughs> <laughs> um, they will be suspended for this match. He also acknowledged the team's decent performances and emphasized the importance of preparing mentally for the match, of course. The odds of this game are relatively even, making it difficult to predict an outcome. However, one potential safe bet is to expect at least one goal in the first half, as both teams have a high percentage of matches with goals scored or conceded in the first 45 minutes. Um, that could be a cheeky bet of any of you want to place one, guys. Let's quickly go through the projected lineups. We have Zoet is rumored to be starting in goal as Dragovski is doubtful for this encounter. This is, of course, Spezia we're talking about. Nikolao, Ampadu and Visniewski will be at the back with Reka on the left and Ferrer on the right to replace, of course, Igjazi. Um, Burabia, Esposito and Ekdal will be in the middle with Shomorodov starting with Inzola. Bro. The Shomorod of signing would be a success if he scores this game, if he scores the winner. I agree. I don't think it's been a sign, a, a, a great signing thus far, Not although it does add firepower. But this is why you get them these moments. Exactly. These exactly. Um, Montepo was in goal for Verona. Well, will be in goal. I'm so used to covering. Um, <laughs> Montepo will be in goal for Verona with Magnani, Hien and Cabal at the back with Faroni on the right and the Pauli on the left. Veloso and Tameza in the middle. Verdi and Ngonj will most likely be playing behind Milan. Juric, Verdia, 
Verdi on the big stage. Verdi, Verdi big is stage. naughty. I find it weird how they don't utilize him that much. They're probably saving him for the playoff. Like, Lazovic <laughs> was doubtful to play against Milan. Mm. And he played ahead of Verdi, who in the big stage, in the latter stages of the season, we know how he can perform. Yeah. So I do find that decision-making a little bit weird. I'll tell you where Verona might have a bit of an advantage. I think if you look at both the projected lineups, I think Verona's team is a little bit stronger with mm-hmm. Verdi, Gonj, Juric, De Pauli, uh, Faraoni, Tamez. I think these players are on paper better. Do I think that Spezia have a higher success rate in getting points out of tougher opponents than Verona? Absolutely. So it's go- it's going to be a very interesting game to watch the fact that it's over one leg means that they'll probably both be quite conservative we might see a bit of catenaccio on on both ends over here looking for that one moment where they can get a goal and maintain the clean sheet um but the defenses are both quite leaky they both struggle to get goals um having juric up front i watched him firsthand against milan one place where i found frustrating to be was a Verona goal kick, always, 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 always directly to Juric and no one else is fucking getting no it. No one gets At it, At one bro. point, Tomori got it and the 80,000 spectators in attendance lost their fucking <laughs> shit, man. It was crazy. Juric, Juric is dominant in the air. Yes. You're not going to beat him in the air. At any point. He might not score, but you're not beating him in the air. Um, I think Verona actually have more depth as well than, than the Spezia side and I think they can actually grow into the game better than the Spezia side can. It's definitely going to be a fascinating encounter. I wonder which version of Nzola will be getting this day because he can change the game if he's on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but I can't, I can't wait for it. What do, what do you think is going to happen? Who stays up, bro? I, I think... Person, I'm gonna be rooting for Spezia. I'm gonna be rooting for Spezia. I'm gonna be rooting for Spezia for sure. I think Verona get it done, bro. I think Verona get a clean one nil victory, which is interesting because Verona haven't gotten Verona haven't gotten points against. Well, they haven't gotten a win against Spezia this year. And Spezia have a win over Verona this year, and that plays more of a factor than we would think. Yeah, but I do think that the missing players list, man. Simona Bastoni is massive for, for Spezia. So is Amian Jazi. You have Dragovski perhaps out. Um, you have so many players out. For Hellas Verona, you have Henri and Lasagna out. I mean, Lasagna is not going to score. And no. Henri isn't that big of a loss when you have Juric. I don't know, man. I think that Verona will probably beat Spezia over here as well. I think so. You know that I told, <laughs> I told Zach, my friend that isn't into football, out of the Milan game. Do you know that um, Verona have a player named Kevin Lasagna? And then 70 minutes into the game, Zach looks at me and goes, Is Allah Peter Pizza coming on here? (laughs) 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 That's so good. That's amazing. All right, bro. So we can go to the next game? Yes, let's. This is the last thing we're going to be covering. The Bari Cagliari Sayab playoff final double-legged extravaganza. The first leg happened already. It happened yesterday. It ended in a 1-1 draw. These are the lineups, bros. For Bari, they have Radunovic in goal with Zappa, Gold and Niga at the back. Altare and Atsi as the fullback as well. Mokombu and Deola in the midfield with Nandes on the right. Luvumbo on the left, who is a great talent. Luvumbo. Yes. He's, a, he's, a, he's a menace up front. Mm-hmm. He causes and chaos. Deola scored against Milan last season. Yeah. 
Moncozu, yes, the Moncozu is playing behind the Lapadula for Cagliari. So Cagliari are stacked. Yes, bro, Nathan Nandez as well. He's still what there. Nandez is like 27 years old, still playing for Cagliari. In this, like he could be Sardinia, say, yeah, baby. That's it. Sardinia, That's baby. baby. That's it. For Bari, their team is not to be underestimated either. They have many useful pieces. First of all, they have um, one of my... Um, there, there are two players I really like on the bench over here. One for Cagliari, one for Bari. The one for Bari on the bench is Ahmed Ben Ali. Yo. Really like him. I don't know. Well, he doesn't start. He doesn't Benali. start. Wow. And for Cagliari, it's Nicolas Viola. Oh. He doesn't start either. He's on the bench. Fantastic oh. player. Um, so for Bari, it's Caprile in goal with Mazzotta, Vicari, Di Cesare and Dorval at the back. With Benedetti, Maiello and Maiata in the midfield. With Maroccoli, Esposito and Kedira playing up front. Now there are too many M's over there. Yes. Mazzotta, Maiolo, Maiata, Moriaggi. Maiello. Moriaccioli. <laughs> too many. Yeah, I think on paper, of course, Cagliari have the better team. Let's go through how this game went out. It started early on. When in the, excuse me, ninth minute, Gianluca Lapadula scored for Cagliari as he placed and timed his header to absolute perfection. What there. a goal. That's what why goal. you have Lapadula on your team to score goals like that. No matter what, I believe this guy will be in yes. Serie A next year. Yeah. Ra- Radunovic, the goalkeeper of Cagliari, made several remarkable saves during the game, including stopping a penalty from Kedira in the 37th minute, as well as some very close call saves on the likes of Esposito as well. One of the great goalkeeping performances you're going to see, guys. Really, really good game by Radunovic. Yeah. Fantastic game. In the 95th minute, Bari got another penalty and they looked to their bench and brought on Antenucci, who took his bib off and ran straight to the box to pick up the ball, put it down and convert the equaliser in the 95th minute for Bari. Crazy, crazy scenes. Um, the second leg will take place at the San Nicola Stadium on June 11th. In case of a tie in goals scored, then the team with the higher position in the league standings will secure promotion to Serie A. It doesn't go to penalties. No! It doesn't go to penalties. Go to penalties. What's this weird fucking shit, <laughs> dog? What's this? Yeah, Give me yeah. a penalty shootout between Bari and Cagliari now, bro. Now, about the game, I was quite disappointed in Kedira's performance, not only because he missed a penalty, but because he looked kind of shit. Every time I've I've seen him, obviously I understand the hype regarding mm-hmm. Kedira, and, but even in the World Cup, for example, when he came on, it did seem like a liability. I, I don't young, think... He's young. Is it 25? I think he's like 23, no? Kedira, let's see. I think... So. Check, check. Let's make sure. 25, 25, you're right. Bam, yeah. boom. I thought his replacement, um, the Colombian 25-year-old striker in Keter, I believe his name is, looked really lively and caused a lot of problems for Cagliari when he came on. Now, Cagliari's approach, guys. Um, Cagliari started the game strongly. They were playing in a compact way between the lines and forcing Bari to play on the counter-attack. Their aim was to com- control the game from the get-go and dictate the tempo from the beginning. Now, Bari's response, they showed resilience after conceding early. They gradually grew into the game and towards the end, it looked like they were going to equalize. And eventually they got the penalty and they did just that. They were there. Bari were always there. I do think that Cagliari, well. Cagliari could have closed the game earlier because they had other opportunities um, to get further goals and to extend their advantage. But Bari were always there. And had it not been for Cagliari's keeper, 
it could have been a totally different story. Bari were there, guys. They were just as good, if not better, than Cagliari in this game. Yeah. Um, the next game, bro, we have we can view it as there. There are two key factors for each team, right? Bari have the home advantage. Cagliari have the away goal advantage. Who would you rather be? Bari. Bari, right? I agree. I'd say Bari. I'd, typically, I think the, the best response you can give is the team that goes into this game with the advantage. The team that if a nil-nil happens, they win. And in that case, it's Cagliari because they have the away goal. Yeah. Um, but Bari, seeing the way they played in the last game, seeing the fact that they finished higher than Cagliari in the season and were better than Cagliari throughout five the season. Points. By five points, despite Cagliari's manager, which is Ranieri, infamously won the league at, at Leicester as a, an insane underdog. I'd say famously. In the, pre- in the Premier League, sorry, yes, famously. I said infamously. Yeah. I meant famously. <laughs> um, Bari, to me, just seem a little more stable. I think Cagliari, full of, Cagliari are full of fantastic moments, be it their keeper, be it their striker in La Padula. I think Bari just seem a bit more solid. And I think yeah, an goal early goal is on the cards over here for Bari. Oh, perhaps, perhaps, bro. I personally think we'll be seeing Cagliari in Serie A, yes, next season. I hope uh, th- there are beautiful points. I will brought this up in the Patreon group chat for three ninety nine. <laughs> We're bringing up who we'd rather see in Serie A. So there's Bari who haven't been there in a while that represent the south of Italy. We all know there needs to be more southern representatives in the yeah. Serie A yes. than just Napoli and Salernitana. However, Cagliari are in Sardinia. Yeah. So having a Sardinian representative in Serie A, I mean, someone of the pedigree of Cagliari who have the players that they do, who have the history that they do, the, the kit, the, 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 the everything. Having them in Serie A is such a delight. I would have never liked to lose them, man. Yeah. Guys, um, it's very important that you stay tuned because in the coming week, we're going to release the voice of the fans as an episode where I have been collecting voice notes from supporters of different teams about how their season have go- has gone. I'm going to put it together and I'm going to release that as a solo episode called The Voice of the Fans or The Voice of the People or The People Have Spoken. I haven't quite decided on the name yet. I don't know what this one's going to yeah. be called. Though. Who knows, bro? All the fine. The fucking extravaganza. Um <laughs> Yeah, um, we will also be recording an in-depth um, analysis on each team's performance and say, yeah, there's going to be a banger, 20 teams to prepare for. We're going to have 10 Madonna. Each That's quite a lot. Madonna. I'm probably bringing Mintofon for that one. He's the man. Ah, Santi's going to be abroad. Santi's yeah. abroad, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but shame. no problem. We'll bring, we'll bring Mintofon. He's, he's good. He provides that um, controversial flair. Um, yeah. Yes, but now that we're nice and drunk, it is time for our Patreon-sponsored question. <laughs> So welcome back to our question segment, guys. It has been a while. This is um, a Patreon exclusive segment. Yes. If you would like to drop us a question and you better pay up, baby, better pay up, and hear <laughs> our opinions. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it's three ninety nine on the Patreon on our social media. You can find it on our link tree in our bio. And um, we would really appreciate it if you were to join the community and to join the family, guys. We yeah. we really like where this is going. Um, and your support is very much appreciated. But anyway, bro, Those. alas, shall we? Alas, we shall. So let's go through them. I have them all listed over here. So let's start with Jose's questions. Jose! Jose, baby! So 
a lot of Milan questions naturally because as we said a bit of a misbalance in our in our patrons when it comes to their favorite football team a lot of them are AC Milan um but it, it, it moves on to questions about further teams essentially so Jose asks what is AC Milan's strategy for player recruitment and development in the coming years the movie Moneyball that is the answer over here <laughs> Milan are the whole philosophy and the whole strategy when it comes to signing players is to sign young talents from obscure and in inverted commas leagues, such as the French League, such as the Bundesliga, such as, for example, the Belgian League, as we saw with the Kate Lara, for mm-hmm. example, and to try to acquire hot talents that you have room for error with, but eventually, in the end, you have plenty of time to turn that investment into a profit. Yeah, it's right? basically using data to analyze young player performances, um, how their progression is going to pan yes. out, essentially. You need to have a good eye for this, because yeah. if you lack that eye, then you're essentially buying a bunch of FM prodigies, yeah. which isn't exactly sustainable. Let's say, for example, it's the difference between signing, I don't know, let's say you have... The Catalari um, and Tonali. I was going to say more like Amrabat, whose price is inflated because of the World Cup, for example, mm. you have the likes of Amrabat. But statistically, you can get the same output from a cheaper alternative. Yeah. For example, um, and in this case, you'd be improving, actually. Mm. Sergei Milinkovic Savic was available mm. for, for the same price tag, if not cheaper. There you um, go. You look at the likes of, I don't know, someone like Samuel Ricci from, from um, Torino, who kind of acts as that metronome, who kind of can um, create play from the back. You look at the likes of Benasser, exactly. when, when, when Maldini brought him in. Um, that was a fantastic signing over there. Proper money ball signing. Mm-hmm. You look at the output of the player, um, you look at the stats, and you bring them in. That's it. It's Analytics. basically a- avoiding anything that inflates player prices as well. So we're out here talking about how Milan signed young players. Fact of the matter is there were signings like Giroud and Zlatan, which we can't but ignore. But these are players that are out of free. their prime. They're, they're, they're on a free and there's essentially little risk with them yeah. um, because you know what they're going to bring. And, and sometimes they'll, they'll prove you right in the case of Giroud and Zlatan. It will be, it will be uh, of course, a combination of things. I feel like if there is an opportunity that should be pounced on, they will pounce. Yes. Um, however, they did not pounce on the Dybala. The Dybala, there you go. But we'll see, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. the philosophy will change from Maldini's moving moving forward as as... Cardinale said it is this statistic and data approach that they'll be following. Jose followed up by asking how does AC Milan plan to compete with other clubs in Italy and Europe? Um, first of all, I think the project of Milan at the moment is a long-term one. The idea was bring your balance down to zero, balance the books, mm, right? Exactly. No debt, remove all debt. And the debt has virtually been eliminated now. Mm-hmm. Um they will continue to sign young players and to try to develop and to sell for a profit as well as they will try to um, build their own stadium, Milan, yeah, um, so that they can get some revenue from there. There's also global expansion. Gazidis was working on this, you know, getting contacts in America, kind of um, going into a more trendy, mm. uh, you know, market. They do that quite well with the fashion, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's how they'll compete. That's how they'll continue to compete. And at the moment, consistency. The fact that Milan have the same manager, they have the same team, while many teams around them are changing. Mm. I think when it comes to how does AC Milan plan to compete with other clubs in Europe, I think player acquisition over there is a massive one. Um, the players that are made available in Serie A, such as Dybala was last year, such as Sergei, will be 
this year and, and, and other players like Amrabat, so on and so forth, Milan have to be in the runnings for those signings because number one, they need that additional firepower and number two, they can't have that firepower anywhere else. So they do need to be quick in the market and they need to be a bit more ballsy in the market mm-hmm. with the quick calls that they make. When it comes to Europe, it's more of a money debate. I think business is business comes in over there when it comes to Milan. It comes with the Gazidis philosophy that you mentioned. It comes with the um, owning your own stadium. It comes with producing this merchandise, that this luxurious merchandise, partnering up with fucking Dolce and Gabbana X and Y that Milan have been doing. I think acquiring further funds to go into the team, that's where Milan will be able to compete with other teams in Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably, bro. Will AC Milan invest in upgrading its stadium or building a new one? I think over there, building a new one is the idea to own the stadium and to make money through ticket sales, so on and so forth, the same way that Juve do, essentially. Thank you, Jose. We move forward to Alan. We'll see you on the WhatsApp group. We'll see you on the WhatsApp group. Alan asked us, Inter, Juve and Roma all seem to be interested in Fratesi. If you were in Fratesi's shoes, who would you pick with focus on career progression instead of wage or childhood affection? What's his best next step? Assuming that Carnevale lets him have a word on the matter. So you're Fratesi. Who do you join out of these three teams in order to progress and become the best player that you can? That's a good you're question. most likely to become a staple in this Juve team, I think. I think they've got mm. the largest gap in midfield right now, and I think they could benefit from a striker who inserts him from a midfielder, sorry, who inserts himself so well. Fratesi is very capable of, um, first of all, doing the dirty work. Mm. Second of all, actually contributing to goals and assists. Mm. You know, and we've been seeing that recently. Yeah, um, the last two or three seasons, even in Serie he was doing it with Monza. I, I think Juve is the place to go right now for him. Plus, the pressure is kind of off. Mm. Because you have you're playing in the conference league, your your objective is top four. You know you're mm. not gonna go there to win the league. At Milan, you're gonna have a lot of pressure. You have the likes of Benasser, Krunic, and Tonali, fucking just dying to start. And and, yeah. and not to mention any other reinforcements that come in, like Ruben Loftus Cheek mm. has been rumored as well. Um, I think Milan is too competitive right now and the same goes to Winter to be honest Inter are stacked in midfield granted they're older in midfield um, however I would put in this order Juve first Inter second Milan third I think so I'm going to agree and say Juve but for different reasons I think it's because of their culture with Italian players and how they prioritize Italian players and how they always have the Italians players best interests at heart Um the way that they've operated with Miretti, Fagioli, the way they've operated with Rovella, trusting in him and sending him out on loan and recalling him, so on and so forth. I think moving forward, Fratesi could form part of that that arrangement over there. Um, I think they'll, they, they'll show a lot of love and care for their Italian players. With that being said, I wouldn't recommend Inter because of all that Chinese shit going on. I think there's too much Chinese shit going on over there for you to have such a sustainable career. I'll, I'll be fearful of getting traded at at any point. And Rome, I wouldn't recommend Mourinho, if I'm being quite honest, because if you have a couple of bad performances, he could really throw you under the bus. That could cause you to become better in a weird way, but it can also cause you being in it, like frozen out of the team entirely, and that's too much of a gamble to take. Actually, in my Roma, Roma aren't a bad shout out to, to go to. They, I they wouldn't play, choose Mourinho, They play man. so many... Ca- 
But Mourinho will be very happy with a player like Fratesi, I think. I highly doubt that fallout. Um, you look at the players he's been playing right now, they're very makeshift, similar to Juve. So perhaps that's another good place for him to go Roma right mm. now. And he's been close to Roma in the past. And to be fair, Allegri isn't a great your, shot over Mourinho either. Yeah. Your point about um, Juve prioritizing Italian players, um, I think Juve just prioritized the players available at this point this season. Um I don't think Paredes didn't play because he wasn't Italian, for example. Don't look at the season, but look at the, the culture and the no, history but of Juve. look at Juve. the likes of Pogba, Vidal, you know, they've always had some very, very good midfielders who weren't Italian. I mean, yes, absolutely. But look at them now and they have a, a, a bunch of young talent coming yeah. in. A bunch of They've got Locatelli, they've got Fagioli, they've the, got Miretti. The fact remains that... Italian teams in general appreciate an Italian talent and, and you look at Inter but Juve historically Centri- do more bro Juve historically have the most Italian teams in, in the league Juve historically have the, the Italian national team sporting an all Juve defence or an all Juve midfield and yeah, they do have that culture of prioritizing Italian Milan at Italian the point talent. where those guys and under Berlusconi yeah, yeah, of yeah. course of course but I, I would I would say Juve because they're a very, like, forget what's going on this season. They're a very stable club in that sense. And they do prioritize Italian talent. Roma are a bit hot and cold when it comes to their successes. And I think if you fail at Juve, you have more of a chance of bouncing back than if you fail at Roma. Mm, maybe, maybe. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and this is all, of course, of Mourinho State. Exactly. Yeah. Next question. We've got Matthias, our boy Matthias. He yes. Asks, question for the next pod. Tudor, pro- possible return to Italy, Juve, or possibly somewhere else. I would love him in Roma if Mourinho leaves. He is also one who could replace Gasperini in Atalanta, at least for a year or two. Yes, Tudor was formerly at Udinese. Fantastic manager. Did Great bits manager. in League One this season with Marseille as they finished third. I would love him to return to Italy. Um, I think Allegri. I think sacking Allegri is too expensive for Juve right now. I think mm. that would cause them way too much. Um, you know, we've all seen the clause on on social media and all those news reports. Um, if Roma were to get rid of Mourinho, or rather, if Mourinho were to leave Roma, let's word it like that. Um, I think. Tudor would be a fantastic replacement for him. I think it would be an inexpensive replacement and pretty much a, a safe inv- investment, a safe replacement. And you're getting a guy who is quite similar to Mourinho in what he gives you. Um, he's obviously not as negative when it comes to his setup, but um, when it comes to the personality, the big personality, the man of the people, you're getting the same guy. And when you get set, when you look at the setup, for example, it's also very, very similar with the three at the back formation. So yes, it could fit very well over there. What do you think, bro? I think the best fit would be, as Matthias pointed out, Atalanta. We know they're getting rid mm. of Gasperini this season. Um, and if they need a, a manager to instill this, this Atalanta identity to them and to give them some identity because that's been a bit all over the place in the past two seasons I think Tudor would be the guy similar system like you said that three at the back um, a direct replacement for a manager that's been there for a while I don't see Atalanta going for a higher caliber manager than him and then I don't see Roma going for someone with with much less experience than Mourinho because they just had that Mourinho 
guy with them. So if they're going to get someone else, they wouldn't want it to be such a downgrade. It would be a downgrade in their eyes. We appreciate Tudor. We know what he'd bring. But I doubt they'd go for that hipster move. Yeah, um, maybe. Um, interesting, by the way, this um, Marseille team has a lot of blasts from the past from Serie A. Oh, Alexis Sanchez, Malinowski, Cengiz Under, Veretu, Paul Lopez. Madonna. They've got, they've got all the boys, dude, from back in the day. Eric Bailly. Yeah. He's basically <laughs> playing with Roma's formation, bro. Gwen Paul Lopez, Veretu, and Under. Yeah, man. Look at these guys. Wow. Thank you, Matthias, for your question. Yes, and thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode a lot of i understand a lot of different occasions that we spoke about and that we've previewed and reviewed and did this and that but like we said the big episode of Serie A will be coming up very shortly this was a bit to showcase to you guys that the season is not over there's still so much to happen and there's still so much going on so appreciate it pour yourselves a drink watch all the football that there is to be watched don't forget to give us a follow Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Serie A Spotlight and give us a rating wherever you're listening be it Spotify, Apple or Google love you guys Touching nothing that I do, I mean no disrespect The bars today was dropping over there and make them switch connects Get anything I want and making sure I never miss a step Only thing we ever focused on is secrets better cut Everywhere we go, I'm that nigga, mean no disrespect If it ain't no money on the line, it's a disconnect Found a couple stacks in accounts that I didn't check